0: You know, look, the cure word's a tough word, right? I mean, you know, nobody wants to use the cure word, but I'll, I'll use it in this sense. Your body can cure anything. We've seen that. Fasting is still the oldest, most powerful therapeutic tool that we know of. That's why, to your point earlier, animals do it instinctively. If they're sick or get injured. Humans, unfortunately, we have to be taught typically (laughs) if you get the flu you don't have to be taught you just don't want to eat Um, but the the point is is that if you utilize fasting strategies before you get into great illness where your body just shuts down because it's trying to save its life you can extend your life and prevent just about any condition by adding fasting strategies to it
1: do you want to know what it is body-mind empowerment get stronger
0: faster smarter Quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind.
1: Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seam Lund, and our guest today is Dr. Daniel Pompa. Dr. Pompa is a doctor of chiropractic who focuses on cellular healing, treating disease, and restoring vitality. Dr. Pompa, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, glad to have you on the podcast, and uh, you're very renowned for therapeutic fasting and uh, cellular healing, which is what we're going to talk about uh, later, but we also touch this topic quite frequently on the podcast, so um, I'm excited to have you on here.
0: Yeah, no, I I love this topic. I absolutely can't wait to talk about it with your viewers or listeners, I guess I should say.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, before we get into that, uh, how did you become a doctor, and uh, how did you end up creating content online as well?
0: Yeah, you know, I I started out as a chiropractor specializing in structural correction, and I got very sick. And through my own battle of illness and recovery, um, well, everything I teach today, and I'm I'm blessed to teach doctors all around the world my detox and fasting strategies. And we kind of have a unique way that I call multi therapeutic approach, uh, putting them together and um, yeah it's my passion now all came from pain and now the purpose so from pain to purpose has been my story but that's where it all came from
1: hmm. what, what kind of a uh, you know problem health problems did you have in the past
0: you know i i have to say it was unexplainable right i mean i was probably when i got sick i was in the best shape of my life and i was training for some uh, cycle uh, i was a cyclist and doing training for some races and it started with fatigue, and like many athletes, I you know just thought I was ever training, but mm-hmm. um, I would take time off. I was getting worse, not better, and then I was going into other symptoms: um, anxiety, sleeplessness, uh, and just bizarre symptoms. Uh, my adrenals were malfunctioning. I couldn't adapt to any stress. I mean, even you know loud. Noise from a movie. I, I remember taking my kids to a movie and having to leave. I couldn't handle it. And then my thyroid was malfunctioning. I started getting all these thyroid symptoms that are very typical, but my blood work kept showing up normal. So it was um, one of those things, right? They look at you like, well, it's probably just in your head because you're so healthy, right? Well, I wasn't. I, I couldn't sleep. I had anxiety. I started becoming allergic to every food I was eating. So life as I know it, I wasn't able to train. I Look, I went from being able to ride a hundred miles on my bike, no problem, uh, to where if I rode down the block, I would be exhausted th- that day and I wouldn't sleep that night. So uh, hmm.
1: it wow, wasn't good. a
0: good existence.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty insane. And I would imagine that a lot of people uh, are experiencing like similar symptoms that Everything seems to be fine. Doctors tell them that nothing's wrong. And, uh, but the, but at, the, at the same time, they're feeling awful. And they don't know what, what's causing the problems.
0: Yeah, no, it, was, it was bad. I, I started to think in my mind, you know, it, maybe I am just crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it turned out not to be the case.
1: Yeah, so what kind of a breakthrough did you
0: have? Or how did you fix yourself? Oh no, <laughs> these sleepless nights uh, where um, I was able to at least research Uh, Because some nights I I just had this awful feeling of dread, you know. Just um, I always described it to my wife as I just would feel like crying. Nights were the worst, but some nights I would just not be able to sleep, and I would have my head about me, and I would just research. And you know, I found Mad Hatter's disease, and I don't know if you remember what that is, but people making felt hats—they were using mercury as a part of the process. And they became known as Mad Hatters. I I literally had all the symptoms, so I thought, Mm. well, maybe I have mercury toxicity. And I went and got a blood test. And I I remember that that day they ran over five thousand dollars worth of blood work, which my insurance didn't pay for. (laughs) Part of my, I estimate that I spent about two hundred thousand dollars, you know, searching for answers, which I didn't have at the time. I was, my wife and I remortgaged our home. I mean, Mm. we we had two young babies at the time, which was horrible. But anyway. I uh, the test came back negative, so it was very depressing to me. And it was about a year or so later that I was w- working with a very bright endocrinologist. I read his books, and you know, and I, I knew my adrenals and thyroid weren't working correctly. But when I would address them, I, things would most things would actually get worse. Uh, so I, I couldn't figure it out. As it turned out, it was literally too far downstream, meaning not the real problem. That was just. My thyroid and my adrenals were just taking the, uh, the brunt of something else going on. And, and at that time, too, I, I knew uh, y- your pituitary in your brain it literally runs your thyroid, your adrenals, and your hormones, right? So mm-hmm. I, I thought, there's something wrong with that because it's at the control tower of my hormones that seems to be malfunctioning. I just, I just couldn't figure it out. Well, he said, you know, Dan, I think you have mercury poisoning. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I said, you know… Bruce, I thought so too, but I did that test and it was negative. He said, "Well, what test did you do?" I said, "A blood test." He said, "Well, that's a wrong test. If you were a Mad Hatter getting exposed every day, which we call an acute exposure, then you know I, it would have been positive. But I think you have chronic uh, mercury toxicity." So he said, "Challenge it out of your tissue using a chelator like DMSA or DMPs," and that's what I did. And then, sure enough, there it was. So. As it turned out, I did have super high levels of mercury, most of which was in my brain. And that really um, became the battle is how do I get it out of my brain? And, and eventually you know, I, I figured it out. I, I read everything there could possibly be on you know, detoxing heavy metals, especially out of the brain. And, and so it's part of what I teach today, and it got my life back
1: if some people have like you know tooth amalgams or something else then uh, that, that kind of creates this massive toxicity over the course of like years and years and people don't even know it and they don't even know where to look so it's sort of like really it's very unfortunate that uh, this mm-hmm. current current like healthcare system doesn't really uh, even consider that as a potential uh, threat
0: well you know what to to your point it was just days later after I had two silver amalgam fillings, which contain 50% mercury removed, that my fatigue started. But I never associated that. Yeah. So when I asked him, Well, where do you think I got this from? he said, He said, Did you have any dental work done around the time this happened? And I was keeping a cycling journal, so I knew. And sure enough, that's exactly when it started, but I mean, it escalated from there, but that definitely spilled my bucket over, if you will, right? I mean, mm-hmm. but again, to your point, if you really look at the studies on that, you accumulate the mercury that vaporizes off of those fillings, and I actually found studies showing that most of it goes in your pituitary hypothalamus, so so many people suffer from hormonal problems because that mercury is accumulating in their hypothalamus and pituitary, which runs their entire Hormone system. And so I, once I realized that, I realized, okay, this had been accumulating over a lifetime in mm-hmm. that incident where they took them out because I didn't do it correctly. So those listening, you don't just get fillings taken out. There's mm-hmm. a process that you do before. I call that a prep phase and then during. And then after, if you don't detox it out of your brain, and there's a specific way to do that because that mercury vaporizes and it crosses the blood brain barrier. And then it turns to inorganic mercury, and mm-hmm. there it's locked for life. So if you've had your fillings out 20 years ago, you still have mercury in your brain, and you have to, you know, really do the correct protocol to get it out. And, and again, yeah. it can manifest into many different conditions, from dementia, Alzheimer's, and simple brain fog to um, so many different uh, conditions, depending on what parts of the brain the mercury gets in. So. You know, there's a caution there. But yes, and then I also wore contact lenses uh, mm. in the know, 70s, 80s, and early 90s, which had mercury in the uh, saline solution in a form mm-hmm. of thimerosal. So that affected my brain as well.
1: Wow. That's, that's pretty nuts, yeah. And uh, yeah, like, I, I totally agree with you that, you know, these kind of, you know, detox protocols, they can really backfire you in, and they can actually make things worse right. if you get like the detox symptoms and, and such. So what would be like a maybe safe and correct way of going about starting a detox or uh, yeah, making sure that you don't, you know, make it worse?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you, ha- you have to use real binders and well, yeah, binders, a.k.a. chelators for starters. So a lot of people, they get online and they read about cilantro and corella. And the reason you read about so many of these lo- these herbal binders is because people are selling products. And so many of these products, they contain basically, there's something called a thiol group or a thiol group, and that's a sulfur hydrogen group, which acts as a chelator. problem mm-hmm. is, is they only have typically one of these Sulfur hydro groups called field groups on them, which makes them very weak binders, or just a sulfur group. A real binder has two of these groups. It acts like almost like a, a claw, which is the word chelation comes from. So you have to make sure you're using real binders. But then the other problem, and, and I'll just throw some out there: DMSA is a real binder, DMPS is a real binder, EDTA is a real binder. There's one called Cytodetox. It works with a cage. It is a real binder. Things like Corella, Cilantra, and a lot of the herbals, and even glutathione, only has a single field group. So we need these real binders that have the ability to grab on and not let go. Otherwise, it creates a redistribution. So it's like, you know, I don't know, in Europe, if you have these uh, cleaners that go along the street, right, you see this big dust plume, mm-hmm. and you wonder, is this what my tax dollars are paying for? Because it's settling everywhere, you know, and very little going into the machine. So you have to use these real binders. Then here's one more problem. They, they all have different half-lives in the body, meaning how long they are actually in the body. And why that's important is because if you take, say, DMPS as an example, which is a real chelator, it goes away most of it in about mm, 10 hours. And then mercury or other metals can redistribute. So you have to take it every eight hours under that half-life, half-life for at least three days before you stop it. So you don't get that redistribution. DMSA has a half-life of uh, four hours. That Cytodetox, 12 hours. So the point is is you have to use real binders, but you have to use them correctly. And you have to use them, cycle them for so many days on, so many days off. So that's a process that I teach, right? I mean, it's not like you can walk into a store and just learn that process. So I, ho- I hope that helps. And I, I don't want to add complexity, but that's the real way of doing it. And then yeah. we also use a binder in the gut. Because a lot of the toxins will go to the gut and then you redistribute them, auto-intoxicate from the gut. So there's a product called bind that has four different binders and it sits in the gut as a catcher's man. Mm-hmm. So that's all of that is a process that I teach
1: yeah 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 it's so true that um you know you shouldn't go about just throwing random stuff at yourself and uh, taking all these different quote unquote detox uh supplements and such because yeah you don't know how how it's going to uh, how it's going to affect your particular toxicity and uh, your particular situation so it's always very like nuanced and it has to be tailored to the individual and to their particular uh, situation and yeah. you know, for that you have to actually you know work with someone who knows how these processes work, how these pathways work and how to do it safely. So yeah, like, you know, like the do it yourself detox uh, people, they tend to not see the best results and they tend to just uh, spin spin the wheels.
0: (laughs) I'm training doctors and um, people go to my website. You can, you know, get hooked up with a doctor who knows this process. I've been doing training for almost 20 years now.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, a, are there like specific foods as well that can uh, promote detoxification? Like, you mentioned, so you mentioned like the sulfur containing foods and the glutathione, and uh, other like maybe some foods that can help the body to heal itself more naturally.
0: Well, you know, you know, what's funny is that this food may surprise you. There's certain fats when you look at what I teach um, doctors and people. I have my five R's, which is a roadmap on how to detox a cell. Because real detox also um, is, yes, using real binders, but you have to open up downstream detox pathways like the liver, the kidneys, the gut. But another missing component that people don't do with real detox is upregulate cell function. And that's critical because if the cell doesn't fix itself in its detox pathway, then you'll never get well in any lasting fashion. So we have to fix the cell to ultimately get well. And that means we have to fix these detox pathways that are broken. And the big one is my R number two, which is you have to regenerate the cell membranes. So the outer cell membrane of a cell, that determines what nutrients come in the cell that you need to feel good. And it determines the toxins being able to leave the cell. So when that membrane is inflamed and not working, you develop a toxic cell, you're not going to be well at all. I mean, hormonally, I mean, in any fashion. And that the inner membranes, like that, there's a mitochondrial membranes. That's where your uh, cells make energy. Those become inflamed and toxic, and you will not get well without fixing that. So here's a surprising foods. Some of the stabilizing fats in those membranes are saturated fat and cholesterol. Mm. So products that I love are things like grass fed, hundred uh, percent grass fed ghee. Ghee is a very stabilizing short-chain fatty acid. has also some of the saturated fats that are needed in the membranes. Grass-fed butter, if you can find it, is really good at stabilizing the membranes. And Then also, foods that are high in omega-6. I know we hear a lot about omega-3, and omega-3 is important, but as far as the integrity of your cell membranes, and therefore your detox, the omega-6 is the bigger player. It really regulates the function of the membrane. So We don't hear a lot about that, but when people are eating grain-fed meats, that des- destabilizes the omega-6 in the membranes. When people eat vegetable oil, canola oil, and all these oils that are showing up in all these processed foods today, and even good restaurants now, unfortunately, um, they destabilize. They replace the good omega-6 in the membranes with this denatured, bad mm. omega-6. So the omega-6 is critical. So raw nuts and seeds uh, that have good omega-6 are becoming more critical. Eating 100% grass-fed and grass-finished meats and butters and dairy products that have good omega-6 is critical. So looking at products that have stable omega-6 is really important uh, today, more important than ever. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true, and I think, uh, uh, yeah, in the you know low-carb health sphere, a lot of people people tend to demonize omega sixes just because they associate it with the yeah. rapeseed oil and the canola oil that's been just heavily processed. But uh, yeah, you need actually some. Uh, you yeah. know, it's an essential fat, and you need some of it, and you need to like balance it with the omega you know three. I
0: mean, the the problem is, is if you look at the average person in a civilized you know country, whether it's Europe or America, uh, we we have too much omega 6 because we're eating grain fed meats and the all the vegetable oils and canola oils you know so the problem is so that gets the attention but people then think omega 6 is bad however omega 6 is the tipping point for a good membrane so hmm. therefore we have to get rid of those bad omega 6 yeah. that are replacing the good omega 6 in our membranes but then we have to get rid of those but we have to bring in the good omega 6 so really, the focus should be around the omega-6, not as much the omega-3. Um, <laughs> but when you eat grass-fed meat, you're getting good omega-3, but you're getting also the good omega-6, which is really more important in the membrane than the omega-3.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about uh, wild-caught fish?
0: Yeah, wild-caught fish is great because, again, you know, there you'll get some of those other fats that are, are needed differently, I would say, like the DHAs. Um, and, again, I don't take fish oil. I eat fish, right? Um, You know, I don't eat fish every day, but I eat fish probably once or twice a week. But the point is, is that's where I choose to get my DHA types of omega threes and fats. Uh, So it's very important uh, that we get a variety of these different fats from good, natural, wild caught sources. So I'm a fan Mm -hmm. of wild caught fish for sure. I'm not a fan of fish oil because most of it in bottles is in fact denatured. On my podcast, I I I interviewed an MIT scientist and he talked about the the name of that particular episode is the dangers of fish oil. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, like most uh, conventional fish oil is just oxidized and uh, really inflammatory. Yeah. Uh, But uh, how how can you make sure that uh, the fish that you do eat doesn't have like, you know, heavy metals because that's one of the biggest sources of mercury, actually?
0: Yeah, the smaller fish are better. Um, Your wild caught fish are better. You always know your waters uh, to get your healthier fish. Mm-hmm. But you know there's the law of biological concentration. Uh, I don't eat tuna, uh, very rarely, if uh, you know, maybe in, in a dish. But um, I I don't eat shark. We don't eat swordfish. Uh, we'll eat wild caught salmon, uh, wild caught halibut, um, sardines. Those types of fish aren't as big, so they don't accumulate as much of the metal. Uh, And of course Mm -hmm. I don't eat water. I don't eat fish. Uh, now in the United States, the Atlantic caught fish, unless it's like really in Northern waters up in Norway, we, we don't eat it because it's Mm -hmm. farm raised and it's not a clean fish. So yeah, Yeah. just know your waters and eat small fish.
1: Food quality matters a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, let's talk about fasting uh you're a big proponent of that so um what's what how, how can you use fasting to promote cellular healing and detox
0: yeah fasting has been um an area of my fascination and study since the 90s i i always joke and there was just me and a group of uh nerds called the natural hygiene society that was into fasting then mm-hmm. uh, today it's in vogue uh so it's come a long way but yeah, my early experiences uh, with fasting uh, really started in the '90s, and you know, I, I think it comes out of the fact that uh, my major premise in life, especially in healing, is you know, look, God, God designed our bodies in such a way that you know, they heal. There's an innate, inborn intelligence that's in our bodies, and if we remove the interference, you know, the body knows how to heal. and uh, that's why I'm into the detox, right? If we remove the interference at the cellular level, the body knows how to get well. That mm-hmm. happened in my life, obviously, but fasting harnesses that innate intelligence. So when we look at fasting states, you know, back in the '90s, we just knew that this drove the body closer to the innate intelligence, and the body just miraculously used the, the energy instead of towards processing and assimilating food, which, by the way, takes incredible amounts of energy. So when you take away that, it takes that energy, I call it energy diversion, and it diverts that energy into what it really wanted to heal um, all along. Because the, the body o- oftentimes is just trying to survive, and uh, it doesn't have the energy to actually heal some of these things that you need to heal to live long healthy. So in a fasting state, it'll divert that energy and start healing some of those things. So we just we knew that uh, early on, but some of the new research about fasting shows that, number one, we're genetically really programmed to fast and go through times of famine. and When we don't, uh, we have genes that can remain turned on, because in fasting states, your body will actually turn off bad genes that have Mm -hmm. been triggered via any stress, whether it's a chemical stress, a physical stress, or emotional stress. That'll trigger, as we say, bad genes. So we all have them, right? I mean, it could be an autoimmune gene, a thyroid gene, arthritis gene, whatever it is. We can trigger those in times of stress. But times of fasting or famine, uh, we literally can start turning off those genes. So we know that to be the case. But also, something called autophagy has been in the science lately. And the 2016 Nobel Prize was given to a Japanese gentleman who um, discovered or at least discovered some of the functions of this autophagy what it simply means is in a fasting state the body will literally get rid of the bad cells for energy and nutrition it will leave the good cells alone it's that smart i mean think about that it will here's a cell with bad dna here's a cell that has bad mitochondria bad cell membranes it will eat that cell the best part is is that when it takes that cell away to use for energy it stimulates a stem cell and replaces it with a new Healthy functioning cells. So, literally, during fasting states, you can become a new person. Especially, I train people on how to fast periodically. Uh, you know, and I, I think it was a there's a cancer researcher in the US named Thomas Seyfried. He wrote a book called Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. He said one extended fast a year will decrease your uh, cancer for like 95%. Well, it's this autophagy, it's getting rid of those bad yeah. cells. Reef making itself via stem cells. So uh, we've discovered all types of benefits and needs too fast, but yet no one fast because we have constant food in our life now.
1: Yeah, it's so true that uh, the uh, body is very smart and it can definitely it has its own you know you know systems to deal with uh, disease and uh, get better. And in in nature, you can also see that when animals get sick, then they just naturally stop eating and uh, they into in doing like deliberately go on to a fast as, right. to, as, a, as a way to trigger these processes uh, without knowing about it. But yeah, like in the modern science just tells us a lot more about the uh, amazing benefits of fasting, such as like autophagy and these other longevity genes that also get turned on and including like stem cells.
0: Yeah, that's right. It turns off the bad and actually to your point, it actually turns on longevity genes. So, you know, I fast, my wife and I both, we fast about four times a year. I'll do two pure water fasts which you get a lot of autophagy, getting meaning getting rid of those bad cells. And then I'll do two partial fasts a year. So I kind of, you know, rotate them what I do. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, it's a way to live long, healthy.
1: Yeah. How how do the, how do the uh, partial fasting look like? It's, it's, it's along the lines of the fasting mimicking that, right?
0: Yeah. So uh, Walter Longo has made partial fasting popular um, with some of his new studies. And uh, there was a, French gentleman Albert Mazier, who actually I learned partial fasting from. Just he was doing a lot of longer, extended fasts, and learned when he moved people into a partial fast, and I'll explain what that is. uh, He would kick healing back in um, and be able to fast them longer, and then some of his really challenged people, he would that had struggled to just water fast. He would just do a partial fast and Longo, and he's an Italian. A scientist has shown that partial fasting has its merits, just like water fasting. Uh, that it, it it achieves this autophagy and stem cell state hmm. um, around day four, day five is when we really see a max. And ironically enough, without seeing his research early on, we would do a five day fast as, as just kind of the perfect timing where after that people. You know, could start to get a little too weak, but we we seem to see a maximum result around that five-day fast, so that's typically what we did. But, so, the partial fast, the rules are this. You get your calories, depending on your body size, so if you're a pretty good-sized person, just get your calories around a 1,000 a day uh, for five days, and your protein has to be under 20 grams. because. What happens if you ingest too much protein? It'll shut down that autophagy because the Mm -hmm. body won't need to get its protein from the cells. So we reduce the calories and reduce the protein. If you're a smaller person, maybe it's more like you know five to six hundred calories. Mm -hmm. Um, And I typically do about six hundred. You know, I'm one hundred and fifty pounds. What is that? About seventy kilograms. But you know, I I do about six hundred calories a day, and I keep my protein under 20 grams, and uh, that's a partial fast. And, you know, we, we typically stay more towards um, – I stay off meat for those five days because it's hard to get, keep your protein under if you're eating meat. So, you know, mm-hmm. just keeping it more towards vegetables, some, you know, some nuts and seeds, fats um, is typically what we partial fast with. Now, Longo and his group made it more simple. They put it in a box and called it the Prolone fast and it's yeah. but expo- day one here's a box of food day two day three day four day five uh at those ratios that i just mentioned so mm-hmm. they they made it easier now some people have a lot of food allergies and different intelligences. so therefore you have to kind of put your fast together yourself but uh, mm-hmm. that can be done
1: yeah like uh they're definitely like you can do it yourself <laughs> and what, what i've seen at the walter Longo's box is that he has you know some crackers and some tomato soup and mushrooms so this very uh, Low-calorie, low-protein uh, foods that essentially just uh, don't interfere with the autophagy process because, like you said, the protein and amino acids are very specifically targeted to, you know, negatively affect autophagy and uh, turn it off. So uh, yeah. that's that's why you have to kind of manage your uh, protein and such. So, uh, what what kind of uh, what kind of uh, foods do you consume when you're doing these partial fasts?
0: Yeah. So, um, I will do. I'll stick to more fat foods. Like, um, I'll get my, you know, I'll eat ghee, as I mentioned, uh, some really first harvest olive oil. Um, so, I, I like keeping the fats coconut oil, maybe a little MCT oil, um, some raw nuts and seeds. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll eat a little bit of blueberries sometimes. I'll make shakes with some um, romaine lettuce, organic, of course. I, you know, I'll put some fats in the shake. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I keep it, uh, keep it very simple foods, vegetables, steamed. but yeah, cause you know, vegetables have a lot of, uh, fiber obviously, but they are lower in the protein mm-hmm. and they're lower in obviously carbohydrates and calories. So that's really what we want, you know, and keep, you know, keeping your carbohydrates under 50 a day is a good number just to kind of target. So, yeah, I mean, you can build your own fast on the foods that you know you respond best to, right? So you don't want to add a food in that you know you don't react well. Uh, yeah. You know, that, that's some of the problem that we have with the pro loan fast is a lot of our clients or patients uh, you know, of the doctors that I coach, they're very uh, sensitive to certain foods. And sometimes they can't tolerate some of the foods that are in there. So we have to design it specifically for them.
1: Yeah. I, I think also like that's one of the uh, drawbacks of the Prolon kit is that it's just, you know, these high carb foods actually that will uh, kick you out of ketosis and they'll potentially make you just hungrier and more like catabolic. So it's harder for you to fast. whereas Yeah, I,
0: I, I think so. I mean, yep. I, I prefer
1: like a Ketosis, fat.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: ketosis yeah. is better because you're going to actually suppress your appetite and you feel much more mentally clear and situated
0: yeah i i I agree Uh, you know i think the average person who doesn't eat a low carb diet that comes off the standard um european or american diet the the boxes are great Mm. um i think someone who does a lower carb diet or has some food intolerances and sensitivities i think building your own partial fast or just doing a pure water fast um, is a better option
1: how how does it differ from uh, the regular extended fast uh
0: yeah, you, uh, as far as um, you, you're saying partial to co- to water? Is yeah. That the comparison? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, look, you know, I know that Longo and said, you know, we, you get, you know, he kind of uh, criticizes water fasting. I have a lot of respect for Longo and, and his team, yeah. so I, I don't want this to come across like I don't. So, however, we're allowed to disagree. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, I train doctors, you know, hundreds of doctors and, you know, I think the partial fast or prolonged fast is a very good place to start. But mm-hmm. water fasting, you do seem we see a lot more autophagy uh, mm-hmm. during a water fast. But sometimes it is a better place to start with a partial fast because thinking about going five days without water, I think that can be very intimidating for some yeah. people. Now, I, I'm going to be honest. I, for me and for many people, water fasting is easier because I go into the fast and I talk about how to do this in my book. It's, my book is called Beyond Fasting. A matter of fact, it's uh, just being released right now. Um, mm-hmm. In Beyond Fasting, I have a seven-week program of how to lead up to your fast, uh, meaning that you don't just run a marathon, right? You don't just <laughs> start doing a workout like I would do or you would do. You work up to that. And, and so week by week, it you know, helps you become more fat-adapted, Um, in that way, when you go into the fast in six weeks, and then week seven is how to break the fast, which is just as important as how to do the fast. But so when you go into the fast, you're maximizing your autophagy and your stem cells from day one, Mm -hmm. and you're therefore maximizing your results, right? So we want to get fat adapted. So when you go into a water fast, very fat adapted, you're just not hungry. When I do a partial fast, when I'm You know, fooling around with food in my kitchen. I personally have trouble stop eating. It's harder for me to discipline myself to say, okay, I'm just eating this amount. I have more trouble with eating less than I do just not eating. Because when I just don't eat and I go into my fast, very uh, fat adapted, as exactly what I teach in my book, I I have I'm done. I don't have hunger, and it's not hard for me at all. Um, And that's the way it becomes for most people is that it's very very simple to do. And I'll tell you this. One fast is great, but when you learn to do this as an art, and there is a science, but when you learn to do that, this is probably the main way that my wife and I have literally changed our longevity at the cellular age. And we, we do that by measuring telomeres and something called DNA methylation, but you can literally test your cellular age versus your actual age. And mm-hmm. we've both gotten much younger, you know, by really doing these strategies
1: yeah i I totally agree and like uh most people who have you know get gotten used to fasting or they become fat adapted then they yell like most people that i talk to agree with you that they would much rather just fast and do like a longer fast and get more effects versus doing like this partial fast and again like the partial fast is great for people who you know haven't done anything like this before Mm -hmm. and they like they need to get accustomed to it so yeah like both ways can work but uh, yeah you just have to like I would say that the partial fast is still better than no fasting at
0: all. <laughs> I, I and I agree, and uh, you know, and people that are on a lot of medications, I I think it's potentially could be a safer fast. Uh, you know, that's look, I, yeah. I train doctors so people can do supervised fasts, and you know, they can be educated in the process. So,
1: hmm. you mentioned your book. So, uh, can you talk about so you know what's what's it more about and uh, where can they get it?
0: Yeah, in the book, I have. Um, I talk about the different types of fasting, and you know, partial fasting. As a matter of fact, in there is our recipe that um, we use in our doctor group. Um, you asked about like how we put that together, so we have the, the rules around on that and how you put together your own partial fast. But it also talks about our experience and you know, my years of experience with water fasting and how to do that and what you know, what to expect. It takes you through day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. Um, because what to expect on each day, if you kind of know, then you, um, won't be surprised. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then also, as I said, it's a seven week program, you know, mm-hmm. how to build up to the fast to maximize your results for the fast and then how to break the fast. And there's recipes in there. There's, I mean, you name it on what to do after, etc. I mean, it, it's a very complete book and, uh, you can go to fast uh, beyond uh, to get the book. Nice. Uh,
1: We'll leave all the links in the show notes as well for people to check it out. And uh, do you do like the regular intermittent fasting as well, like the daily where you're doing time received eating?
0: Yeah. So in the book, I talk about that in uh, week two on, you know, I said it's kind of weeked out. It teaches you a principle. So week one is becoming fat adapted. Week two is how to narrow down your eating window to where you do start the daily intermittent fasting daily, because that starts to then challenge your cells to use fat when you actually don't eat for periods of time. So Daily fasting is a strategy that we use, but Chapters 3 and 4 really go into a, a principle that I call diet variation, feast-famine cycles, mm-hmm. and really that takes the fat adaptation to a whole nother level. When we really want to get our bodies using fat and our own stored fat as energy, these uh, variation strategies actually are the magic. So, you'll learn how we do weekly variation strategies and monthly and even seasonally in those chapters. And that's really how you become what we call metabolically flexible. So, if Mm -hmm. you are eating higher carbs, uh, your body will do that successfully. But when you switch over or you're not eating, it just starts burning your fat. It's really a strategy that, ancient cultures that live very long lives, very healthy. That's what they do. And Mm -hmm. in that, I've just emulated what I've learned from some of these ancient cultures.
1: Yeah, that's so true that you wouldn't want to be you know, fasting for the rest of your life and you don't want to fast too much and all the time because that's, right. uh, that's just preventing the body to actually reap those benefits because you need to grow and you need to maintain your muscle tissue as such. Uh, and if you lose it because of fasting too much or not eating enough calories, then yeah, yeah it's just not going to be like giving you the best results.
0: That's right. You're so right on what you just said. Um, you're very educated in these principles because people then, I, I watch that people restrict their calories too much too often, or they do too much fasting. and What happens is your body is experiencing too much autophagy. That can actually lower your immune system, and you start to eventually lose too much muscle. Now, the other side of the coin is you have your vegan, vegetarian people who will talk about mTOR, and eating too much protein, too many calories and how that really takes years off your life and creates disease. and They're right, too. However, it's if you're doing too much of that, so you have someone who is eating high protein too long, that's destructive, just like too much fasting and autophagy. There's two pathways that run parallel to each other. The autophagy pathway, so think about that as a catabolic pathway. Your body gets rid of bad cells. Too much of that, and you lower immunity. When we have the mTOR pathway, think of that as, what bodybuilders like, right? They want to build muscle. That's an mm-hmm. anabolic pathway, right? So if you take steroids or hormones, an anabolic pathway. Do too much of that, and you'll create disease. However, I I make the argument. I'm one of the few who do that. You actually need both of those pathways. Yeah. So you need times of feasting. I believe are as important as the times of famine. If you lack either, and you spend too much time in either, it's not good right so too many too much fast not good too much protein high calories not good feast famine gives you the best of both of those worlds we're meant to feast and we're meant to famine and, and i and again i discussed that at length in my book
1: and that's yeah that's so true because that's how like you humans evolved for you know thousands of years they mm-hmm. ate and they also fasted so but in the modern world we're just gravitating towards The constantly fed state, and we're never really gaining the benefits of fasting. But yeah, like too much fasting can also be bad if you're just constantly starving. Yeah, that's good. And uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the book and I'm gonna plan on reading it. Uh, But yesterday, I also told my Instagram followers to to ask some questions that I could ask you. So uh, would you you like to go through a few of them right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. I love that.
1: That's good. Yeah. So the first question is uh, Is it a good idea to break a fast with carbs?
0: Yeah, so again, uh, you can break a fast with carbs. However, you have to break it slowly. So, when we break, let's say, a five day fast, we want two days of reduced calories. So, of course, you're going to get some carbs, you're going to get some protein. Now, I wouldn't break a fast with just processed carbs, sugar. So, those carbs, no, Mm -hmm. but you do want some carbs, right? Mm -hmm. You know, blueberries and uh, things like avocados, um, they have protein, they have fats, they have carbs. Well, um, the, the avocado does. Blueberries are more of a carb source, but that still has a lot of fiber. Mm-hmm. So we need to get our carbs and our proteins and our fats coming in after fast. But So day one after fast, we restrict calories to about five, 600. Again, but depending on body size, for someone very big, 800 could be fine. The next day, we increase a few hundred calories. So if you went from five to six hundred, maybe you could go to seven, eight hundred. And then if you were at eight hundred, maybe we go to thousand. So the reason why we go lower calories into a partial fast basically for the next two days is because your digestive enzymes are much lower. We don't want to dump a lot mm-hmm. of any one thing in there, fat, protein, or carbs. We want to reduce that, you know, mm-hmm. that stress because our enzymes are low. Give those enzymes time to come back. So we want to break it. And I I say, you know, don't add meat in your diet until day three after the fast because your HCL is lower, you know. So start maybe day one just with some vegetables, you know, some blueberries, uh, avocados, maybe some steamed vegetables, light foods, fermented foods are great. If you do okay with dairy, you know, good uh, fermented uh, foods like fermented kefir or yogurt or, you know, those types of things would be just fine to add some good bacteria back in. And then day two, you can bring in some eggs. You know, some people could do real good with some soft, little bit of fish if you wanted to. If you're more digestively challenged, wait one more day. But so, in my book, I talk about that process of how we break the fast. But slow and low, don't Mm -hmm. ruin. If Mm you shock your system, you're going to stop that stem cell process. You've done all this work to get your body to eat its bad cells in this autophagy. And then the stem cells start. Upregulating healing, you could shut that process down by shocking it. So, how to break the fast is very important.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, really good answer. That uh, you don't really want to put on like a massive uh, digestive strain on your system and eat uh, too much food in volume. So to say, you have to ease into it to, to a certain extent. Um, next up, uh, what's the safest way to go about Hashimoto's thyroiditis and fasting?
0: Well, you know, any autoimmune is. Uh, Fasting, I think, it is imperative uh, to do it. But again, it's multiple fasts. Now, think about it. What we the criticism in the in the 90s was when you fast, you lower your immune system. And the reason they said that was because you see this drop in white blood cells on blood work. What they mm-hmm. didn't realize was happening, and this is uh, what well, Walter Longo, one of his con- con- uh, contributions, was is that that drop in white blood cells is the autophagy process. So your exactly. body's literally getting rid of these hyperactive immune cells that drive autoimmune. Mm-hmm. And so each fast you get lower and lower uh, amounts of those hyperactive cells and then it raises up something called T regulatory cells which those are the cells that tell your body it's okay, you know, don't hyper respond. So we see a shift in the in the cells towards something that would lower the autoimmunity. Now with that said, you, thyroid, my variation strategies that I talk about in, in chapters three and four in my book, those become more important for people who have thyroid and adrenal problems. Uh, you need these times of feasting become even more important sometimes yeah. <laughs> to add in weekly and even monthly. So women with uh, hormone tra- challenges and thyroid challenges, we like to give them five days a month, especially before their cycle um, of increased healthy carbs. Mm-hmm. The reason is because thyroid hormone is an example. To go from a stored inactive form, T4, to an active form, T3, you actually need insulin. So mm-hmm. Therefore, higher carbs, especially right before your cycle, is a strategy to help that thyroid hormone convert better when you need it to convert better. So for women who have thyroid troubles, men too, these feast famine times become more important. And then when you do fast, you get much more out of the fast.
1: Yeah, that's a, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you said it because, yeah, like carbs are really good for upregulating like thyroid functioning and speeding up the metabolism yeah. to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like uh, women tend to just under eat a lot. And that's why they uh, tend to have like these uh, thyroid problems as well to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Would you, the next question would be like, uh, would you, how would you go about fasting for women?
0: Yeah. So again, I, I, I think that how they approach the fast becomes more important, right? They, they have to become fat adapted first, right? And that, mm-hmm. and again, I, I've used that word a few times, but let me be clear. It's, it's when we get our cells, specifically our mitochondria, your cells can only use two things for energy, sugar or fat. Um, when people are trapped, which most people are, unfortunately. Mm-hmm in a sugar-burning state, where all they want to do is burn sugar. That's why you can't stay on diets, because your body needs carbs. It needs the sugar to survive, or if you're not eating, it wants to burn its muscle. So We want to transition the cells to get it burning fat when you're not eating. And and Again, that's why my book talks about becoming fat-adapted as a first step. Women with hormone trouble, thyroid trouble, becoming fat-adapted first is critical in the strategies using feast famine cycles diet variation ketosis these are very important to do before a fast
1: yeah yeah that's true a- anyone can do it and <laughs> they just have to maybe adjust the windows and approach a little bit
0: that's right anybody can do it
1: yeah uh, next up uh, can fasting cure anxiety and lymphedema
0: yeah so uh, you know look the cure word is a tough word right i mean you know nobody wants to use the cure word but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll use it in this sense your body can cure anything. We've seen that. Fasting is still the oldest, most powerful therapeutic tool that we know of. That's why, to your point earlier, animals do it instinctively if they're sick or get injured. Humans, unfortunately, we have to be taught. <laughs> Typically, <laughs> if you get the flu, you don't have to be taught. You just don't want to eat. Um, but The, the point is, is that if you utilize fasting strategies before you get into great illness where your body just shuts down because it's trying to save its life, you can extend your life and prevent just about any condition by adding fasting strategies to it. And I believe it does harness the innate intelligence. And I believe your body can cure anything.
1: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, next up, or oh, the last question is, uh, should you fast when you have adrenal fatigue?
0: Well, I'll, I'll lump it in that same category as I did the thyroid. You need these diet variation strategies when you have d- adrenal fatigue. Mm. You, know, you have to become fat adapted first. You have to do diet variation. The feast days become as more important as the fast days. So I t- discuss that in my book, you know, of why the variation is more important for adrenals. But the answer is yes. You just have to do it correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, again, back back to the idea of cycling between feasting and uh, fasting. Service. Yes.
0: <laughs> Very, very important. Very important.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, yeah, it's been great talking with you, and I'm looking forward to the book. So uh, before I ask my last question, where can people learn more about you and your work?
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go to my website, it, there's all my social media. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. But um, if you, DR, like Dr. DR, then my last name, P-O-M-P-A, drpampa.com And you'll find all my social media. I'm on Facebook every day. Check me out.
1: Awesome. Good. And it's going to be in the show notes. Uh, and the last question is, what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you adopted sooner?
0: That, let's, let's repeat that one piece of advice that I, what? Wish you adopted sooner. Oh, ah, uh, yes. Um, you know, the one piece of advice is really, I. I, I feel like it's repeating ourselves, but when we look at what's causing disease, and you know in fact, it's stressors of any type, physical, chemical or emotional, right? Uh, fasting, I really believe, uh, adding just even one fast, a year, extended fast, um, yeah. will change your life forever. You know And, and honestly, I, I'd have to say, I, I wish I'd have learned these strategies. you know as I'm in my mid-50s, I wish I'd learned them 30 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, uh, especially when it's the holiday time and people are just overeating already.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I, you know I will enjoy Thanksgiving, uh, yeah, but sure. again, that will be my feast day. Um, I do at least two feast days a week, and I'll do day, like today. I'm eating one meal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm fasting for twenty four hours today, right? But then again, Thursday tomorrow, I'll be feasting
1: yeah that's like that's a good uh, note to end the sh- show and thank you thank you coming to the podcast and i'm um, looking forward to your future work
0: yeah thanks Tim.
1: all right that's it for this episode of the body mind department podcast if you want to support us then i would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on itunes and the other social media platforms you can now order my new book metabolic autophagy that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here it's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get the exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback and many
0: more. But other than that, my name is Seem, stay tuned for the next episode, stay empowered.